from Gen FKD. I'm joined by my special guest today, Frazier Rice. He's the author of Wealth Actually. Actually, I have the big book blown up behind us as well. How are you doing, Frazier? <laughs> I'm terrific, thanks. Did you uh, sweat sufficiently on the way here? Uh, it's a little warm out. So yes, I, I, just getting my composure now. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the dog days of summer here in New York, and we're here to answer your questions about wealth and talk about Frazier's book. So you say it's a book right here. I see intelligent decision making for the 1%. What about the rest of us, Frazier? It's the rest of you and the rest of me. It's important to know that there's some concepts in there that translate as well. Uh, when I was going through titling the book, uh, I went with what I know. I, when I am a wealth manager, I dealt with a lot of people in the 1% who are wealthy. But as I learned, there are a lot of things that other people can use to help fix their situations as well. So what's it like dealing with the 1%? What are the, a lot of the common denominators that you see? The biggest one, I think, is the fact that the people who are successful, uh, they are, they, they're able to spend less than what they make, and they let the power of compounding work for them. Uh, I think they also, in addition to living within their means, they set out a plan for their money, uh, and they try to understand what their goals are. Uh, the big thing is that they set that plan up in place and they stick with it. So power of compounding. Yeah. I know what that is, but a lot of people don't know what that is. So the power of compounding, it's, it's really one of the most important concepts that you can deal with. Basically what it says is that uh, if you are able to use uh, the strength of your wealth, uh, you're able to use time as a way to compound your interest, uh, your earnings, and so on. And as it goes farther, that time allows that compounding to happen geometrically. It's a bigger component. Uh, the same thing happens in reverse if you borrow a lot. Yes, people forget that part. No, that's the big thing. And then you hear things like uh, paying for a pizza or something like that uh, with a credit card. You could end up spending 50 to $60 for the same pizza if you were to buy something, uh, if you were to buy that pizza a little bit earlier and to spend cash with it. So, Frazier, I do this for a living. I interview people who talk about money a lot but it's funny everyone it, the message is always incredibly similar spend less than you make it, it, it's it's not easy but it's not complicated uh, if you are borrowing to spend uh, you are in every basically whittling down the assets that you're going to be able to use going forward and and that's a problem uh, especially when you get into retirement and if you don't have a job or you don't have a current income stream if you don't have a big asset base to work off of uh, you're not going to be able to have the income to do what you want to do with your life. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. A lot of us, like myself, I'm kind of young-ish, but a lot of our audience is really young. But eventually, the biggest wealth transfer in history is going to be from our parents to us. So let's say I come into an inheritance. Sounds like a happy day, right? Mm. I find myself having a lot of wealth. What is your advice for people in the, that situation? The first thing I would do is get some parameters around what you want to do from a goal perspective. One of the biggest threats to wealth I see is when people get a win, is sort of a nice windfall or some sort of big, uh, some sort of big money event, whether they sell a business or they're the first round draft choice of the Knicks or something like that. All of a sudden, they think their problems have gone away and that they're able to get a different level of spending going forward. The biggest thing I think you can do is get a handle on what your spending might be and then understand what the assets and your earning power are so that they line up well and you don't have that mismatch and you can get back to spending less than you make. So what other things sh should we know that, uh, let's say I were to somehow end up in the 1% and I were to approach you and say, hey, I'm doing fairly well. 
What do you suggest for Fritcher? One of the big things, I think, one of the major threats to wealth is the fact that uh, bad communication within families tends to be a major problem as it relates to making good investment decisions. By and large, many people say, geez, you know, if my investments uh, do poorly or if I get hit by taxes, that's the thing I really need to worry about. That, of course, is true, but the really big thing, especially within a family environment, is making sure that everyone is on board with your plan. The thing that I've seen over time is that when you go get to the next generation, if you don't have buy-in with the next generation as it relates to understanding what the plan is, you can have litigation, people being upset, people having issues, and that's ultimately a big problem. And uh, you, you can have the best crafted plans in the world, but if people don't agree with them or at least have context around them, ultimately that's when you get conflict, and conflict is expensive. Yeah, and that sounds a lot like I was reading statistics that, uh, you know, a certain percentage of wealth is lost every generation, and by the third generation, a lot of it evaporates. There's uh, all sorts of old saws about that. The most common one is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Uh, it's clogs to clogs in England. It's rice paddy to rice paddy in Asia. Uh, and basically... Uh, in the Middle East, it's camel to camel. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, like my, my grandfather rode a camel, and my grandson will ride a camel. And so it's one of those things that transcends its uh, cultures. It happens everywhere. And the big thing is that normally what happens is that the first generation makes the money, the second generation enjoys it, and then the third generation loses it. So a lot of what I do and what I've tried to do in the book is explain certain things you can do to try to delay that. And a lot of that has to do around building good communication around the family so that you're trying to figure out what values you want to transfer and then by extension transfer the money along with it. But we see a lot of families fight. Let's take, for example, the family who owns CBS right now. Ah, the Redstones. The, yes, they're all fighting right now. And they've been fighting for quite some time in the public limelight. And it seems like this is fairly common. It just, it's, it's almost as predictable as taxes and death. <laughs> uh, when there are big pots of money uh, and there are people who have different aptitudes, different interests, different things going on, uh, they're ultimately going to have a different opinion as to what happens with the money. And if uh, the patriarch or matriarch has uh, sort of dictated what's going to happen to the money and there isn't context and agreement along that line with the rest of the family, you're inevitably going to have conflict. And, and you're seeing that with the Redstones. My big prediction is that you're going to see that with Aretha Franklin. Uh, she didn't have much of a plan. She has no will around her uh, sizable assets. And I think you're going to see people coming out of the woodwork uh, and sort of laying claim to what's going on there. And that happened with Michael Jackson's estate and continues to happen, is my understanding. And princes and, uh, and any, anybody <laughs> who hasn't done any particular planning uh, with sizable assets, uh, when it goes through the court system, that's about the most expensive way you can figure it out. So what do you say to a young person who's not there yet? You know, let's say, you know, I'm an average person. I make a decent living. I'm able to, uh, you know pay my bills, what would you do? Yeah, I'm sure you were there once upon a time. Sure. Well, I'm still there in some ways, <laughs> except for the young part. But the uh, I, I would say there are, a few couple, there are a couple of different things. The first one is to get a real handle on what your goals are currently and to start thinking about your goals going forward, whether that involves starting a family, buying a house, starting a business, uh, any of those types of things that you think are going to happen 5, 10, 15 years from now, I would start thinking about that and getting that in line so that you understand what your spending looks like. The second part is to then put an investment plan around that so that you can start siphoning assets away and saving them uh, for those types of things. 
The other major component is I would invest heavily into developing your edge, your earning cap capability, whether that's reading a lot, taking classes, doing those things where you can really uh, increase what you can earn over time. That's going to help build your wealth, especially later on in your life. So, yeah, one of our audience questions was, is do you read outside of your area? Oh, I, I read too much outside of my area, probably more than I should, or I don't read enough within my area. The reading outside of the area really is uh, the way I think you connect good ideas. And for those who are entrepreneurs, I think that's the area where if you are uh, good at one thing and you're good at another thing, if you combine those two disciplines together, uh, that's something that can be very unique and differentiate you within the market. So how did you build your own life? What were things that you did, maybe uh, stuff that you did well and stuff that you did wrong? I think the, the, the one thing I think I'm pretty good at, the two good things that I'm good at, I think I'm pretty good at keeping in touch with people and following up when I make contacts with folks. And so my network extends. So you're a hustler. I guess. Uh, <laughs> a hustler maybe, but it's, it's really just more I'm interested in what other people are doing. And so I try, to, uh, I try to stay friends with people from all walks of life, and it's helped me throughout my career. Um, I think the other thing that uh, I guess that I really try to do is to keep my creative pilot light on. I uh, do a lot in terms of uh, graphic novels. I write screenplays. I, oh, so uh, you're, you're a renaissance man. You're not just into money. No, I, I, to a fault, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, I helped to produce a horror movie a couple of years ago, and it was one of the really cool experiences uh, for my involvement. I insisted I was the first one killed. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, but I got to understand a little bit about the movie business. And uh, by following up on those writing projects, I got involved with podcasts. And so that was another skill I started to pick up. And that really helped drive the writing of my book. And that's been a nice little add-on to the wealth management career as I start to pivot and do other things that are interesting. I've tried to do something that's, that's money-making on one hand, but on the other hand satisfies that creative part of my brain that uh, that I find really enjoyable. And now as I get into my 40s, or I'm now 45 in a couple days, I'm trying to marry the two so that I have a good, uh, something that I, I personally really enjoy and that I make money doing. So what would you do over again in your life? Uh, you know what, I really don't have too many regrets on that front. There are a couple of choices I would have made that are a little bit different. I turned down a fellowship in Washington back in law school uh, for a think tank that I would have really enjoyed doing and instead worked for a general counsel's office in Manhattan. Uh, but that, as regrets go, that's not too bad. That's great to live life without regrets. So this is a funny question from Devin. What are the most craziest or the craziest or the most nonsensical things you've ever seen a client spend money on? <laughs> well, my favorite one <laughs> is a, uh, I got a call one day uh, of Friday uh, mid-afternoon from a client who called up and said, geez, you know, I... Um, I think I really need a miniature horse this weekend. And miniature horse? They're getting those on planes ponies. as support animals, right? It's something, <laughs> you can go into a bank with a miniature horse. They are official support animals. And essentially what happened is he said, I need it in Taos, New Mexico, and I need it this weekend. What can you do? And I looked around the office and I said, does anybody know how to do any of this? And they said, no. Uh, and I wandered around into a magazine kiosk and went to a Rob report where they had all the different uh, exotic pet uh, ads in the back and there it was like a beacon of light miniaturepony.com and uh, or something like that and I, I emailed them up and there's Trigger and Sugarfoot and Santa's Little Helper and something like that and I called up and I said I got a real problem Did you here. FedEx it to New Mexico? And so I called up 
And I said, I got to get this thing to New Mexico, and I got to get there by tomorrow. What can we do? And the guy said, Son, you haven't got a care in the world. We can FedEx them. You did FedEx I said, You can FedEx a pony. Is that true? <laughs> and uh, so we went ahead and did it. And we ended you can up, FedEx a pyramid from Egypt. You can FedEx anything. You can FedEx just about anything. But that's that's one of the crazier ones. Uh, I've bailed clients out of jail. I've gotten uh, made all sorts of you know sort of art requests and things like that, and pulled bunnies out of Sounds hats. Sounds fun. But it's Unfortunately, that's only about 5% of the job. Oh, so too bad. You're probably better off getting the concierge at the plaza, but uh, sometimes you're able to pull through. So there's a common thread between uh, a few of the questions that we're getting. So one of them is, how did you find the time to write this book? Right. Uh, so the, I made time for it. Uh, essentially, what I did was uh, I said, I, I'm, I'm very committed to doing it. I based on what I just talked about before, I'd made time to write in other venues. This I just sort of focused it on that. And I found a really good publisher in Scribe Media. They were very helpful in making me efficient around that process. And I had a lot of, uh, a lot of support on that front. And I, I really just sort of made the time to do it. When did I write? I, I took mornings before I went to work. Uh, lunch Ooh, that's hours. Discipline, Frazier. Yeah, well, it's, it's discipline, but when you want to do it, it happens. And then a lot of I'm I'm a night person normally, so I spend a lot of time at night working on it. Absolutely. And did you uh, did any other books help you as you wrote this one? The biggest one that helped me, there are lots of finance books that I could recommend that are really good, but a fellow by the name of Josh Brown uh, wrote a book called Backstage Wall Street, which uh, he had a somewhat similar career track that I did, and that let me know that I could do it. Uh, the second one that was interesting was an article by, by James Altucher called Publishing 3.0. And that got me over the struggles I was having with the business of publishing. And, uh, and that ultimately directed me to the Scribe Media folks. And so that was really good. I, uh, those two things, I think, were uh, fulcrum, fulcrum books, amongst many others. Okay, and can you tell us anything about the graphic novel that you have in production? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Oh, so this is this is one of the coolest things. Uh, so I have a writing partner who's up in Watertown. We're high school friends. We've written a bunch of different things, screenplays. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to do, because the movie industry is a nightmare, uh, as we said, we want to get something tangible out. And we got to the point where we had a six-page uh, graphic novel called Death Cat, where essentially... Uh, it's a palliative care cat that goes and curls up next to the next person who's going to die in a nursing home. And so we did a That's little thing about that. And uh, we found an artist in Bath, England, whose chief, uh, nice town. His chief qualification <laughs> was that he could draw cats. And anyway, so we got this done, and we were very happy with it. And so then the two of us got together, and we tried something more ambitious. And uh, it's called Stay Alive. It's about 100 pages long. It's almost done. Uh, we're looking for a publisher for it, and we're in the midst of talking to some people on that front. And it's been one of the most rewarding experiences to see something that, that, that I've written or co-wrote with my friend and to have it show up in an intangible form. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, so tell us about your podcast. So the podcast, Fraser Rice's podcast, which is now being called Wealth Actually to better align with the book, I interview entrepreneurs, experts, and uh, other tastemakers. And I got started doing that. I basically uh, was looking for a way to differentiate myself in the wealth management business and meet people who were doing cool and successful things. And it's turned into a, uh, it's gone from being a little bit more of a hobby to something that I think is going to really be nice and buttress well with 
with the book as it stands out. Any guests you have coming on? Uh, the next big guest I have coming on is a fellow by the name of Chris Ott, who works in cybersecurity for a major law firm in New York. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the State of the Union there. Uh, uh, which is not good. No, it's scary, scary stuff. <laughs> Our data is not safe. Yeah, no. yeah, very unsafe. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the le legal ramifications. And how do you think wealth management in your field will change? Because everything's getting disrupted. You've talked about the movie industry, how that got disrupted. You've sure. talked about cybersecurity and how that's needing to be disrupted. Where's wealth management going? Well, wealth management's undergoing it right now. The first part, I think, is that the uh, the fees around it are coming down. Uh, there's a lot more information and data that the customer has uh, at their beck these, and call. Right? Because of those, because of the internet, generally speaking, uh, the way people are able to see how their accounts are performing has really put some scrutiny on, on different fund managers. And so if you're getting an expensive manager and they're uh, uh, average, you're not going to put up with that very long. Fidelity has put out zero-cost ETFs for beta exposure. I saw Chase was allowing um, free trades as well. Right, and so it's and so it's hitting big-name banks, and so the value proposition and the proof of the value proposition is under more attack. Uh, I think what's going to happen in the wealth management world going forward is that the advisors, people like me and people, other folks at other institutions, uh, they're going to be able to take on more clients and they'll have more technological tools at their disposal. Uh, but clients are going to be very rigorous as it relates to uh, investment performance. And I think the, the tenor of advice is going to go away from investment management and it's going to be more of a tax uh, more of a tax-based advice because people are... We don't uh, understand taxes, you know, no. Yeah, the, the, where the, the area that's important is that uh, where you can affect things is usually on your tax front and doing, making smart decisions there, and you can save a lot of money that way. That's where I think advice is going in the wealth management world. So if we think about rich people in, in our lives that, that you know a lot of people know, like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, et cetera, who do you look up to? Whom do I look up to? Uh, Warren Buffett, certainly from an investment process standpoint, I think he, he has a process by which he identifies companies and invests in them. It's worked for a very long period of time. I think he's used his advantage as well as he's, he's gotten bigger. He's turning 88 today. 88, and Charlie Munger's about that, about that age too. I can't believe so. they're still working. I, and working harder than ever, apparently. It's a scary thing. Uh, uh, there is no retirement anymore. Uh, by my calculations, I'm going to retire when I'm 127. So. <laughs> 127? Are you going to last uh, that long, uh, Frazier? Uh, unlikely. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the sands drip out before, uh, before that happens. But uh, Warren Buffett certainly is, is one. Uh, I'm very interested in sort of the Peter Thiels and Mark Cubans. Uh, not so much from a wealth management perspective, but they seem to have a real idea on what's happening in the future. And so I find that very interesting, and it's, it's nice to be around uh, those types of people and those types of ideas uh, when you're trying to talk to clients and trying to get them to think about their futures. Uh, I was having a talk, I was down at a courthouse earlier this morning with one of the security guards, and he was talking about driverless cars and whether that's going to impact his truck driver brother. And I said, yep. Uh, it will. That will probably, be one of the first things to go, probably. Probably sooner rather than later. And so these technological advances, these other different advances, they have major ramifications for people uh, throughout the country and a lot sooner than we think. Okay, so before we leave you, we'd like to do a few things before we leave. Great. We want you to pitch the book. Since you interview entrepreneurs at the time all the time, you seem to be an entrepreneur yourself. Doing my best. Doing your best. <laughs> I try my best, too. I seem to have the entrepreneur-like personality, but I don't run any businesses. Um, pitch your book in 30 seconds. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, wealth actually is going to help you make better decisions around your wealth. As you 
are about to strike it big or as you come into wealth or you're trying to build your future, one of the main things that you have to worry about is communication around your wealth. If you don't get that right, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions going forward. And the book, I hope, uh, gives you some context and to make those good decisions and to help you pick the advisors in order to get you where you want to go. Okay. And then in the same frame, you did that splendidly. It seems like you've thought about that before. I hope Have so. they hauled you into a room and told you, do this? Well, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you burn the ships like Cortez did and, and, <laughs> and, and you have the book, you, you think about these things and you want to get it out there and, and be articulate. So okay. And then so. I always ask everyone this question, and I love this question. What is your advice for young people? My advice for young people, I go back to what I talked about before. Develop your edge. Uh, make, discover what you're good at. Take the time to do it. Try as many things as possible while you're young because you're going to have responsibilities build up over time and it's going to be more difficult to do that. Try to learn what you're good at. Try to develop what you're good at and do it early and, and give it a go. It, you do not want to live life with regrets. Uh, I, would, I would give it a good shot as early as you can. So, are you a big fan of the movie Love Actually because it's Wealth Actually? I am a big fan of the movie Love Actually. Uh, when I was struggling to put the title together for the book, uh, I was looking at the TV guide, you know, on the cable with uh, uh, Spectrum or whatever it's called now, and, and, and Love Actually kicked in, and I said, "Geez, you know what? Uh, you know, a lot of this is trying to unwrap." Uh, what being what working with wealth and dealing with a bank and those types of issues are, and I said, you know, there really is wealth actually, uh, and it and it kind of hit like a thunderbolt, and I said, you know what, let's give it a go. Well, a lot of people just don't want to think about money. Isn't that the first step? But people just want it to all be automated. And unfortunately, a lot of money transactions are automated. I imagine all the young people that you're not seeing on camera in this room don't even look at their pay stubs. Uh, I'm sure they don't even look at their pay stubs. I think the idea of a checkbook is quaint. Uh, I think the idea of, of balancing a checkbook and understanding what you have in there is probably something that's uh, that's furthest from the mind. But it's something that if you can get your arms around it earlier and and set it up in digestible steps, I think you can get your arms around your money situation and, and have a really good, uh, a good situation where you're enjoying your life and you're planning for your future in a, in a prudent way. So our last question here before we leave, you, uh, one question was, what projects are you working on in the nonprofit world? We were talking about how you are on the board of your apartment building. Yeah, so uh, that's a nonprofit to be sure. Uh, <laughs> the two things, I'm, I'm uh, the treasurer of my co-op, so there's a lot to do with uh, running a big building in Manhattan. So That is uh, not an enviable job, folks. It, is, it could be as full-time a job as you want. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I do is I'm on the board of a uh, filmmaking group called Talisan Nexus out in Los Angeles, and we promote uh, liberty-based filmmaking. And so I really enjoy that, and it's one of those things where it's fun to see a lot of different projects. And a lot of the people that I've met through, uh, through the course of that, uh, I've been able to keep in contact with, and it's helped my other projects like uh, the, uh, the, horror, uh, the horror movie and then this uh, graphic novel thing that I've done. I think what I learned from you, Frazier, is that if you don't get married and don't have kids, you have a lot of time to pursue projects. Uh, time and energy and resources. <laughs> uh, use it well. Use it while you have it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon.